Hey there, we are so glad you're joining us here for Dwell at Home. And like I said before, I need to say it again because it's so important. Happy Mother's Day. Mamas, we see you, we appreciate you, we love you. Thank you so, so much for the time and sacrifice that you've given. We're so grateful for you and we know that it is hard work. For those of you who experience grief today, we are with you. We see you. We love you. Thank you so much for showing up, for tuning in. And I pray that this message would speak to you so clearly. You see, on Mother's Day, I think there's so many definitions of mom that we could go through that, to be honest, I know I'm going to miss one. But there are several of you who know without a shadow of a doubt that you're mom. Thank you. There are some of you in the room who question, do I get to celebrate today? Do I get to be celebrated today? And I want to let you know, you do. You are loved, you are seen, you are valued, and we are so, so thankful for you. Mama, we see you and we appreciate you. Today, as we jump into a message, I am going to talk about an amazing mother from the Bible, but this is really important. Everybody listen up. Even if you're not a mom, this message is for you. You see, it is Mother's Day and we are talking about a mom, but what we're going to talk about really is something we can all identify with in one way or another. And so I really want to make sure you hear me. This message is for you, no matter who you are, because I think we can all agree, we can all understand the feeling or the struggle of feeling unseen. So today, we're going to talk about our identity crisis. God, thank you so much for giving us this time this morning to come together. We are so grateful for each and every mom represented here. God, whether it's our mom, whether we are the mom, we are so thankful for this wonderful title of mom that you have bestowed upon so many of us. And we thank you that you give us so many amazing moms around us to look up to, to experience life with God. And today I pray that each and every person listening would feel seen by you. They would feel known by you and they would hear what you have to say to them today. We love you. We praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So, unseen, misunderstood. These are all kinds of words that we use all the time. And I feel like I need to tell you that when I felt the most unseen, the most misunderstood to this day in my life was when I was pregnant with our first child. You see, Eric and I, we got married pretty young, and really we had a very quick timeline from the time we met, moved across the country, got married, moved, you know, we're in a new state, and then very quickly after got pregnant. And so our first son was actually born before our first wedding anniversary, about a month before. And so I was trying to figure out 
Like, who am I? What do I do with a baby on the way? What does it mean to be a mom? What does it mean to be a wife? We were living in a new state. I was very lost and swirling. And if I can be really, really honest with y'all today, I did not enjoy a single thing about being pregnant. I like the kid, but the whole pregnant part was not my thing. But that comes with like its own amount of guilt, right? Because I think everything can, everyone can relate to this where something really cool happens in our life and we're really excited about it and then it becomes a burden. You see, I don't know what kind of car you drive, but it doesn't matter how nice it is or how grateful you are to have a car. When gas is $4 a gallon, it sure does feel like a burden when you're filling that thing up. And I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person that goes on vacation and I think I want to do things like hiking and I want to see the beautiful views and I get so excited until I actually start hiking. And I remember that we don't work out ever and I didn't come on vacation to work hard. So why the heck am I doing this? But this is kind of where I was when we were pregnant and see, there's so much like blessing and excitement and we're going to have a boy and we found out we had the name and, and we're very excited and there's lots of happiness around this, but I struggled because I was so stuck in, oh my gosh, everything hurts and I can't eat sushi and I can't drink whiskey. And this is just not how I want to experience life. And it didn't help that there were three other women at the time that I was fairly close with. You know, we had a small, close-knit church, and three of them were pregnant. They were all a little ahead of me, and so it was kind of nice. I got to watch what they were going through and hear about it before I got there myself. Except here's the thing. They all liked being pregnant. (laughs) You see, the first gal, she's one of the most, like, calm, go with the flow, happy-go-lucky kind of gals I've ever met. And it was her first time being pregnant too, but just nothing seemed to faze her. She just always had a smile on her face. And then the second gal, pretty similar personality. And, you know, she and I were becoming close at that time. And I would know here and there if there was something she's like, ah, this really like hurts today or, you know, get out of my ribs, whatever it is. But She was still very happy, very content, and this was her second one, and so she knew what was coming and was just calm in a way that I couldn't understand. And then there was a third gal. I think we've all known one of these ladies, and I need to preface this with I now really admire this about her and about other women that I've seen it. It just so was not me. But she knew this was her second kid, and she knew that this was going to be her last. Um, And so it was her last chance to experience that kick in the ribs or that foot shoved all the way up there. And it was her last chance to feel him moving around in there. And so it didn't matter if he was on her bladder and he stayed there for three weeks, or it didn't matter if she had sciatica and it didn't matter if she was so uncomfortable because she loved every second of it and every little bit of heartburn was like a gift to her. But see what this did for me is put so much more into contrast how 
mad I was, how uncomfortable I was. I was irritated. I was in pain. And here's the thing. Pretty quickly, I got really deeply worried because I hated every second of being pregnant. I hated it. That is not an exaggeration. It was awful. And it was a basically normal pregnancy, but it was awful for me. And so what this created in me was this deep, deep worry that if I hate it now, how am I going to feel about this baby when it comes out? You see, every now and then on my weakest and worst days, I would get really honest about that. And usually in the form of yelling and screaming at my poor husband, who probably thought a lot in that first year, what have I gotten myself into? But most of the time I kept this deep inside and tucked away so that no one else could see it. No one else could hear it. No one else would know the truth, which was I didn't want to be the thing that I was becoming. See, I saw all these other women around me who were so easily and seamlessly slipping into the role of mother, the identity of who they were going to be as they raised this child. But I was battling it, this new title in my life. Because really what I was discovering at 22 years old, newly married, very pregnant, living around people I didn't know that well yet, was that I didn't know who I really was. Can anyone else relate to this? You've, you've come to a point in your life and the journey probably looks different, but you feel like you're floating in a missing identity. I kind of think of as if you were just dropped in the middle of the ocean all by yourself and it's dark and cold and you're swimming and you have to keep swimming to stay up because otherwise you'll sink. But you can only swim for so long before you lose, lose all of your energy. And the hope is that something will come floating along in the water that you can cling to, or there's a ship passing by that will take you to safety, or maybe you'll go through the water enough until you see land off in the distance, and that land's going to keep you safe. I think these are a lot of the titles and the identities that we tend to default to when we don't know who we really are. And so we find ourselves in situations where we're trying to find safety And like for me, I was the youngest of three kids. So I was the baby. And when I'm trying to find safety, what I become is the baby again. Or I was, what I like to say is I was the jack of all trades, but the master of none. And you've probably heard that phrase before. And for me, what it meant is I wanted to be decent at a lot of things, but I really wasn't willing to put in the work to be the best at anything. But it led to these deep insecurities of not being good enough, not being worthy to be heard, not being worthy to be seen. And sometimes this was really true of some of the situations I was in. Like I had some very real traumatic experiences that reinforced this. But other times, if I'm being really honest, I was just being dramatic. And I was letting my feelings drive everything or letting myself be defined by 
a past trauma instead of overcoming it. And so after high school, I tried to rip away from all of these identities and I, I pulled pretty hard and fast away from like everything I had known and I was trying to become my own person. But really, I found myself in a deeper identity crisis as I landed in a place where all I was doing was fulfilling other people's needs instead of my own. I need you to know today, you are more than what others take from you. In Genesis, we read the story of a woman named Hagar. And I feel like this is a great place to pick up Hagar's story because Hagar was known for fulfilling other people's needs. You see, she was a servant to a woman named Sarah. And Sarah was the wife of Abraham, which you've probably heard their names before. And if you're familiar, but if you're not, I'll catch you up on the important details for what we're going to talk about today. But at this point, Abraham who was almost 100 years old, had been promised by God that he would be the father of many nations. And his wife, Sarah, who was in her 90s, you know, lived in that same promise. But here's the catch. At 90-something and almost 100, they had no children. So I don't know about you, but I'm not even really sure I want to still be alive at the age of 90, much less in a position to birth enough kids for it to create many nations. And they've been waiting for so long that they were beginning to lose faith in the promises that God had laid out in front of them. And so here we have Sarah, and I, if I'm being really honest, Maybe Sarah just realized that she didn't want to be pregnant at 90-something years old and didn't want to experience childbirth at that point in her life. Or maybe she was impatient. Or maybe she was frustrated to see her husband not have something fulfilled in his life. Whatever it is, I think we could assume a lot of different things. But what we see in the Bible is that Sarah came to Abraham and suggested that he, that they take matters into their own hands. And she said, I will give you my servant Hagar so that you can make children together. So this is what they do. Hagar is given over as if she's property to Abraham for the purpose of producing a child. And Hagar, she does it. She becomes pregnant. And what happens when that occurs is this major role shift because Sarah was supposed to be pregnant and Hagar would have been the one taking care of her and tending to her and and caring for. But now Hagar needs to be taken care of. And Sarah sees this threat to her family. And even though she's the one who made this happen, all she does is act with cruelty and hatred and deeply mistreat Hagar on a regular basis to the point that Hagar runs away. She's desperate to escape the hatred and abuse, and she runs into the desert with no plan. You see, Hagar has every reason to feel demeaned and dejected, hopeless, abandoned, and unseen. She's done nothing wrong. She's only done what her master's asked of her. 
and she was getting ready to have the joy of starting a family. And now she's lost and alone and afraid in the desert. And it's in this forgotten place that God finds Hagar. In Genesis 16, 7 through 9, it says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness, along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, which it says Sarai here, but really this is Sarah. They're the same woman. We won't get into all that today. But um, so it says, the angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? She says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Oh, that's heavy. That's hard. See, right here, I feel like is where so many of our stories end. Because what's being asked of Hagar is not fun. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. See, let's go back to that feeling of floating in the ocean, right? So you're floating, you've been there, you're lost alone, you're getting tired, and you're scared for your life. And then all of a sudden in the distance, you see a cruise ship and you start to hear the music and you see the lights and there's dancing and there's fun and you can just hear it coming over the air. The catch is, it's pretty far away. And so if you're here and you need to get to something far away, what do you need to do? You move. But pastor, why can't the ship just come to me? Why can't the ship just meet me where I'm at? That sounds like a good plan. Pastor Natalie, you do not know how long I've been swimming. It is so unfair to, for more to be asked of me. Pastor, what if when I get to the ship, it's all just like healthy and veggies? See, I really kind of wanted the party boat. The reality is that when God puts safety and purpose, and identity in front of us, many of us don't take it because you have to lose something to gain something. You see, Hagar is going to have to lose her feeling of comfort. She needs to sacrifice a sense of peace right now to fulfill a purpose later. Here's the hope. Here's what we can see in the Bible is God doesn't leave anything just at the place of sacrifice. Every sacrifice in the Bible comes with a promise. And the angel shows Hagar what this promise could look like in verse 10. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. See, God can hear Hagar's cry of distress. Why? Because God is always looking for you. 
God found Hagar, is what the scripture says. The angel found her in the desert because he was looking for her. And God was looking for her because he knows his children and cares for us so deeply and intimately that another scripture says he knows every single hair on your head. Everyone. And he's aware of us at any given point in time, each one of us intimately and personally. All those things that you've been hiding, he already knows them. All those things that you've been faking, he knows them. See, Hagar had been cast out by every single person around her. She'd been dejected. She'd been demeaned. She was literal property. The father of her child had given her over to his cruel wife who was filled with hatred no matter what met her. Sarah had allowed all of her emotion to overcome her and directed all of her rage right at Hagar. Yet God was looking for Hagar and he found her. Hagar's experience with God here was so profound that she needed to name it. And this is the only time we see this name, but it brought her so much comfort and and courage as she walked back into the fire. She called him Elroy. In verse 13, we can see Hagar's response to how God is reshaping her identity. Does thereafter Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her? She said, You are El Roy, the God who sees me. She also said, Have I truly seen the one who sees me? God saw Hagar in a real way. She not only experienced his presence, but it changed her. This woman who'd been cast aside and was property and diminished to meet the needs of her master. For the first time, or one of very few times most likely in her life, felt acknowledged and valued and seen. God sees you even if no one else does. What is the darkest moment you've ever experienced? Are you feeling it today? Are you alone? Were you scared? Were you contemplating ending your life? Did you feel like no one saw? No one cared? For some of us, these moments are so deep and so incredibly real and they may be valid based on your life experience. Some of them might be recent. For others, we might have remembered this deepness and this darkness at some point and now we feel kind of okay. We feel like it was really dark at the moment but looking back it's not as bad as I thought. No matter what you're feeling, I think there's something that God is bringing to memory here. No matter what it is, I want you to know today, and even more importantly, He wants you to know, you were, you are, and you always will be 
seen by Elroy. Today is not the end of your story. Even if you feel like God has abandoned you, or maybe you feel like he's forgotten the promises he made, or maybe you just don't feel like you're worthy to be seen. Elroy, the God who sees you, the real you, has so much more planned than you can even imagine. For years, I tried to live in the identities that other people put on me. Daughter, worker, wife, student, sister, mom. None of them fit because they were all what other people wanted of me or what other people expected of me. Not what I wanted to be and not the promise God had put on my life. But I stand here and tell you today that if you can believe God's promise on your life, even if you don't fully know what it is, if you can believe God has a plan for you, that identity will be brought into completeness. We can leave here today, each and every one of us, calling Elroy, and he is going to respond with, my son, my daughter. God, we thank you so much that you have seen us. We're so grateful that you know each and every hair on our head, that we don't have to wonder, we don't have to admit our deepest, darkest things because you've already seen them. We don't have to brag about our best things to prove ourselves to you because you already know and you know that there's even more that we haven't even experienced yet. God, I pray over each and every person here that today, right now, they would feel Elroy who sees them. They would feel known. They would feel your presence and experience your love. I pray that each and every one of us could walk in the promise you have given to us. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We are so excited to be nearing the end of this series. It's been so good, but next week, stay tuned because we are going to have an amazing word from our guest pastor, Greg Wallace on Jehovah Jireh. So be sure to catch the podcast next week. We are excited to continue learning more and more about God. We love you. Have a great week.